goodness. I love it. We're, we, we are really having too much fun with this theme. We, we have started, okay, recently, new series called Like a Good Neighbor. Like a good neighbor, and you know how it goes, you know, the State Farm thing. Like a good neighbor, you know, they're there for insurance. We want to be good neighbors. And so last week when we started, we have got this example of Jesus. And so we want to do an acronym. The acronym is the word bless. We want to bless our neighbors. We want to be a blessing to our neighbors. So like a good neighbor, we begin be with prayer. We talked all last week about that. If you're logging on right now, I want to say welcome to church today. Everyone in here, welcome. So glad we're together. Be last week, begin with prayer. This week is, here it is, listen. Because the next letter is L, and that works really great. We're going to spell the word bless. we got to listen. We have got to, and here's the problem with listening. We're not good at it at all, okay? I read a book this summer by Malcolm Gladwell called Talking to Strangers. Really long book. Loved every part of it. I'm going to sum the whole thing up for you right now. Talking to strangers, we're not good at it. Like we're, we're horrible. We're, we're horrible at talking to people because we don't, we don't listen, right? We're, we're, we need to listen. I do, as a pastor, lots of weddings. Sometimes, you know, they're nerve wracking because they're really big and you don't want to mess anything up. And then sometimes it's like just four or five people and there's a pretty tree. And I always say this, it doesn't matter. The, the best gift that you can give your partner, your spouse, like the most incredible gift that they will not get anyplace else is the gift of listening. It's such a beautiful, wonderful gift because honestly, we're not that good at it. Matter of fact, um, most people, if they will just feel listened to, like their vitals change. Like the chemistry in your body when you've been heard starts to change. Your blood pressure will, will change. I mean, you're... Your, your complexion, your, your skin tone, right? Your, your eyes and the way they're dilated. Everything about you, when you start to feel heard, when someone will listen to you, can physically start to change. When you speak, you, and some of you can speak fast. Some of you can, okay? 125 to 175 words. No comments. If you're sitting next to your spouse, just be quiet, okay? Um, you can hear a whole lot more, though. You can hear about 450 words per minute. So you can only talk at best around 175. You can hear about 450, but here's the deal. Your brain is only processing 17 to 25% of what you're actually hearing. So while you're hearing 450 words, most of us in this room, the only thing you've picked up so far is one word, listening. That's it. And you're like, do I listen? Do I listen good? And you're, there's a rabbit trail. You've already gone down evaluating your own self-listening, okay? Now, in my extensive research on the topic of listening this week, I did stumble across this. It's a fact. Uh, science proves it. Uh, women do listen better than men, right? Right? I got a lot of amens last service. It was awkward. <laughs> this, this one lady was like, you, by the time you start preaching, it's like, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. It's like some truth up in here, right? It's, it's, and here's why. And I actually read this on the internet, internet so it's true. Uh, men, men only use half their brains, right? Right? That was when first service got really rowdy, okay? It's true. Uh, it's crazy, but it's true. About 7% of the words that you speak are what's actually communicating to the listener. Most of what's communicating to the listener is tone and 
your expressions, your, your, your body expressions, your face expressions. This is why when you text, it's imperative, everyone, that you use those emojis because we don't know how to classify what you're saying, right? It's, it's just a simple statement, but if there's an angry face, it means something different. There's a laugh face, right? It's, so you got to use those emojis. Uh, listening is a big deal and we get it wrong. Um, some of you do this and you've been doing it for a long time. You hear a song and you think you know what the lyrics are and then you sing them around other people and, and they don't tell you that you're wrong because it's fun for us <laughs> when you sing them wrong, right? Or most other people, they're like, I didn't know that's what it really said, right? And then they join you. There's actually a name for this phenomenon because it, it happens so often. It is a mondegreen. It's a mondegreen, a misunderstood or misinterpreted word or phrase resulting from a mishearing of lyrics in a song. Uh, I want to give you a few of these because I had so much fun with this. Uh, you're the wobbly one. That's the incorrect lyric. The correct lyric is, you're the one that I want. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, Olivia Newton-John, John Travolta. That's the song. Kids, it's great. Um, actually, it's not. It's not a great, I don't, it's not a great movie. Okay, uh, here's, here's, I love this one. Someone pick this one out. Uh, hold me closer, Tony Danza. Right? I'm going to Tony Danza hug. Uh, it's actually Tiny Dancer. Hold me closer. Elton John. Thank you for that one. 1973. Amazing. Uh, the Boys of Summer is a song by Don Henley. The, the wrong lyric is, I can see you, your bra straps shining in the sun. That's not what it says. <laughs> your brown skin's shining in the sun. Uh, I, this one I get. I do get this one. The band is the police. The song is message in a bottle. A year has gone since I broke my nose. Wrong lyric. A year has passed since I wrote my note. He sings it fast, though. I get that one. One of my favorite bands, the wrong lyric, there's nothing that a hundred men on Mars could ever do. The correct lyric, there's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do. Africa, Toto, yes. Okay, we're going to reach back. I want, I want everyone involved. The church is called Generations. We're pulling everyone in. Here you go. Uh, see that girl. Watch her scream, kicking the dancing queen. No kids. See that girl. Watch that scene, digging the dancing queen. Abba, dancing queen. And uh, I, I, this, this last one, I think, I think we should all officially vote to change the words to the wrong lyrics because they would be fun. Uh, sweet dreams are made of cheese. Eurythmics. It may, it'd be a better video too, I think. I, I'm down. We do this, right? We, do, we, don't, we don't listen well. And... Uh, we need to work on it if we're going to truly be like a good neighbor. And just like last week, as we come together, our focus, the focus of our faith, Jesus is our example. Jesus began with prayer. He began his ministry with prayer. If we're going to bless people, we've got to do that this week. We've got to listen to be a good neighbor. And we've got to listen like Jesus does. Be like a good neighbor. So listen like Jesus does. I want to take you to an account in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verse 35. An encounter with Jesus says this, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now Jericho at this time, this is 2,000 years since the walls came tumbling down. So there's actually two Jerichos. There's the Jericho that's kind of a heap of a mess, uh, where Joshua's men marched around seven days, like rewind. Okay, it's Old Testament story. It really happened. I've been there. Still no walls. 
Uh, then they kind of rebuilt a new city without walls because like, it didn't work last time. And so they're about a mile apart, two Jerichos. It's on the way to Jerusalem and you're actually going up in elevation. There's a lot of people going. The book of Matthew and Mark thought that this was such an incredible encounter with Jesus. They both recorded it as well. We get a few more details. There's two guys. Only one of them, Bartimaeus, gets a little bit rowdy and has the interaction. They were not born blind. So as children, they knew the sky was blue. They, they knew the color of the, the water on the Sea of Galilee. And they knew what the springtime looked like and how green the fields were. So they knew what they were missing out on. And many people of this day and age, they would say this about the affliction of blindness. They would say that there is no cure for this. That's, that's like the perfect setting for Jesus to enter a story. Jesus works best when someone says that's impossible. You know, all a person could do if they were afflicted with this common, this common thing of blindness is this. They would set and beg. Here's a big deal. In the kingdom of God, it's an upside down kingdom. Things that are powerful in our culture are not powerful in the kingdom of God. Things that are not powerful in our culture in the kingdom of God have great power in them. And so in the kingdom of God, to be someone who is a beggar is actually a very powerful position because that person has no inhibitions between them and the thing that they need. There's no pomp and circumstance. There's no fakeness. There's no image they got to control. They just come right out and say it. Hey, here's the deal. I'm a beggar. It's perfect for Jesus to step in. And it's a picture of Jesus listening. Be like a good neighbor. Listen like Jesus does. And we're seeing it start to unfold here. But we got to be like a good neighbor and specifically listen to the heart. See, verse 38 he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is his refrain. Hey, what's going on? Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's the song that he's singing. It's the refrain. This is how he calls out. I mean, you know what it's like to be busy, right? You know, there are, there are those of you in this room that you've got a sickness. I understand it, but it's a sickness. When you attack a day, you have what we call a list of things to do, right? Some of you are getting nervous right now because people are judging you. Family members are like, he's talking about you. This is you. you have a, and here's how you know that it's a sickness. When you do something in a day and it's not on your list, what do you do? You see, there's a lot of you. This is, I'm glad you're on church today, right? This is awesome. You add it to the list so you can check it off, right? I mean, Jesus has got places to go. He's trying to save the whole world. You know, there's all of these people with him. Everyone's screaming out to him. But what he calls Jesus matters. It matters what you call Jesus. And he doesn't just say Jesus from Nazareth. He asked them what is going on. They said, Jesus from Nazareth, that guy, there's stories have circulated about the things that he has done, healings, his fame, no doubt. There's a certain vibe about who he is. And so that classifies him as the Jesus that has done miracles. Okay, I get it. Jesus of Nazareth. That's not what he says. He does not say. Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus, son of David. When you call out to Jesus, it matters what you call him. See, at this point in time, 
as Jesus is on this journey to Jericho. The, the Jews, they, they have no ethnic king that they have made of their own. They've got an appointed king of the Jews that has been appointed by Rome to make sure no trouble breaks out. But the line of David, the, the divine royal line of David, right, that is it's no longer the ruling class. So for this guy to say, son of David, he's saying this, get it. I recognize that you are king. You are of royal descent. That's what he's saying. When you call out to Jesus, it matters what you call him. Here's the next thing that matters a lot. What you call out matters. What you call out to Jesus matters just as much as you understand who it is you're calling out to. And when he calls out to Jesus, he says this, have mercy on me. When you cry out to God, there are all kinds of things that you, you ask for. We come to this assembly in great need, asking for things. It matters what you call out to him. The, the heart of this guy isn't faking anything. He's not putting on a, a show or posturing in any way. He says one thing, have mercy on me. Just have mercy on me. And Jesus, in the midst of this crowd, picks up on his heart. But more specific than that, this is what we've got to do to be a good neighbor. We've got to, we've got to be a good neighbor by listening to the pain that people have. We've got to listen to the pain that people have in their heart. Listen to verse 39. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. This guy, Bartimaeus, he has exactly what we have. In trying to connect to Jesus, and Jesus is about to model perfectly how to be a good neighbor and listen to the heart and the pain. But in that, in that moment where he's trying to get this attention, he has what we have. He has obstacles. Just think about some of the obstacles he has. One, he couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't physically see him. He doesn't know where he's at. He doesn't know if he's picking up, you know, Jesus's ear. If Jesus is like, or he's like, well, who's that one person? I mean, there's a lot of people screaming, guys. I mean, they're coming into this big city. It's the last big city, you know, before they really get to Jerusalem. They've been on a journey. He's got the 12 at least with him. And it sounds like from here, there's a ruckus because the blind guy's like, what's going on? What's going on? So there's probably just like an entourage and the town's a little bit excited because maybe Jesus will do something. We've heard about it. People are probably screaming all kinds of things. He can't see Jesus. That's an obstacle. Here's another obstacle. He's got the opposition of the crowd. Really, what they tell him is like, be quiet. I can imagine, you know, the mayor of Jericho, he's like, hey, we got, we got people coming to town, local economy. Buy some stuff. We've got a bunch of shops. You know, you want the riffraff to be quiet. Like, don't slow them down. Let them come and spend some money in Jericho. There's all kinds of people and everyone's got an angle. And here's what no one has. Hey, the blind guys would really like to say something. Would everyone be quiet? Speak up, Bartimaeus. No, everyone's like, Sh shut up. Be quiet. You're ruining a moment. It's a parade day. It's not about you. You know, the other thing is the Lord's delay in responding to them. 
And he's been screaming this for a while now, since the dust was starting to cloud the street. And he's like, hey, what's getting ready to come? He's been shouting, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. You've got obstacles in your way to connecting to Jesus. And Jesus is showing us right here in this moment how to be a good neighbor, to listen to the heart, but specifically to listen to this pain. D.W. Augsburger writes, being heard is as close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. I just think about that. Being, being heard is so close to most of us to feeling loved that we can't tell the difference. When someone will listen to us, we feel loved. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's awkward if we, we all want to bless our neighbors and we want to love them. But if you start there, it's just weird. We were out for dinner this week celebrating my wife's birthday. And uh, we, had, we went out with some friends and there was this young waiter that was waiting on us. And we're trying to get into their lives and just be kind to them and hear some of their story. Really what, honestly, what we wanted to do is love them and bless them like a good neighbor. They were in, God put them in our way. What we didn't say was, hey, we're from the church and we love Jesus and we want to love you. Because that would have freaked them out. They'd have been like, and your check's on the way. I need the table. Okay. No, but when we listen to their story, can I tell you what that person felt? Loved. Because the world doesn't want to listen. You guys, there's an appropriate answer. When someone says to you, how are you doing? The appropriate answer is fine. Some of you are brave and you said good. No, see, good could mean like I might be open to a conversation. Fine means you say fine back and then we don't talk anymore. Right? And as soon as, when I ask someone how they're doing, they say, fine, right? When someone comes to you and you ask them how you're doing, like, well, actually, you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. You're one of them. Like, my day is shot. I'm getting the, like, oh, like, you just disobeyed the rule. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to do what they said here. Be quiet. The world is not listening to people's heart. And the world is not listening to people's pain for sure. And when we, as those who love Jesus and Jesus has heard us, when we have an agenda to bless people and we begin with prayer and we start to listen to people's heart and listen to people's pain, they will feel loved like never before. It's an incredible thing. There's a term that I want for us just to get as a church. What we're really saying here is to be a good neighbor, we have to pay the relational rent. The reason we're listening is we're paying relationship rent. We've all had some truth that we've known. And, you know, someone has said, you should tell them that. You should go and just tell her that. And there's something inside of you that bubbles up when someone gives you that great advice. Oh, go tell them that. And you're like, um... I don't know if I've earned the right. Most of the times when you feel that, listen to it. Because what has happened is we've not paid the relationship rent to listen to them enough to be able to come back and say something. Here, listen to what this goes on. Jesus, in verse 40, stops. And he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near to him, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is busy. He knows everything. He reads minds, hearts, 
it probably would have been easy for Jesus to say, hey, Peter, just walk over there. Here's what that guy needs and write it down. Just go, go give it to him. Jesus was paying the relationship rent. Jesus calls the guy over and he's like, what? What is it that you want? Martin Coppenhaven writes a book, uh, Jesus is the Question. And this blew me away this week. He, he brings this point. When we take all of the Gospels, that's uh, the, the first books of the New Testament. We call them the Gospels. These are people that saw with their own eyes, they witnessed Jesus's whole life. So we call them testimonies. Like in a court of law, they would testify that what they saw is real. And when we put them all together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these testimony accounts, they are the, the gospel. And when we line all of these out and you put them on a blackboard and you start to look at every encounter that Jesus ever had, this, this is crazy, 307 questions that Jesus asks he paid relationship rent by listening to people. It's like, well, I want to be like Jesus. And like, it's so hard. It's like rocket science. You've got to be able to walk on water. He, he's not telling everyone to walk on water. He's really telling us to pay relationship rent and listen to other people. 307 questions he, he asks. He only answers three. Like we're normally the opposite, right? We walk around answering questions for people that aren't asking them not listening to them and just running over them and not paying relationship rent. I love that Jesus asked this question. And it's, it's kind of a, a simple question. You could look at it and be like, well, Jesus, what do you think the guy wants? He's blind. I mean, he wants you to, we know you're sick. Like we've heard you heal the lame and the sick. And I mean, he's blind. Heal him. Like that's what, that's what he wants. Don't assume that you know what your neighbors really need. Because that's what we do, right? And what Jesus is showing here is he's like, stop. Most of us, we, we could probably, if we had note cards in front of you, say, hey, we're just going to do this. Think of someone that's a neighbor in your life. It doesn't have to be like your exact next door neighbor, you know, like Mr. Wilson and the fence. And like, it might be someone at the Circle K where you get gas the same place every single day. They know you, you know them. You have acquaintances and neighbors in your life. And if we were to say, write down all the things that the neighbors in your life really need, if you could give them what they need, most of us would feel confident. Oh man, I could rock their world. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus comes to you, even in this moment right now, and Jesus says this to you. Okay, what do you, what do you need? You've, you've come for a while. You've come for the first time. I don't know what your story is, but I know the question Jesus is asking you. What do you need? Verse 41, the man says this. Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Some of us have been asking Jesus, for the wrong things in that question. I mean, even in this moment right now, when we say, man, what, what is it that, that Jesus could give you? You're asking for the wrong things. People ask me all the time, what do I want? Actually, every single day at noon at Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> it's, it's rare that I ever get to go. If, if I'm not with Jennifer, I get to go somewhere else. If I'm with my wife, it's Chick-fil-A. And they ask me, what do I want? And have you ever told them something that you want that's not a button on their machine that they can press? If there's not a button for it and you ask for it, it's like, 
like meltdown, right? That 17-year-old was like, there's not a button for it. He asked for something. I don't have a button for it. They're calling managers and the owner. This guy is asked by Jesus, what do you want? And part of me, I think Jesus was, was putting him on the spot to see where he was at. See, our response to that question has a lot to say about where we are. I, I'm not so sure the guy fully answered the question well. Because when the 17-year-old who's working at Chick-fil-A, and I'm proud of him, they're out there working, and it's the eat, and I'm like, you're awesome, you got a job, I'm so proud of you. And Jen's like, you're embarrassing us. I'm like, well, they're working, right? When they ask me what I want, I'm not like, well, you know, I'd like a steak, you know, medium rare. I mean, I, they don't have a button for that, guys. They don't have, they, I don't ask that at Chick-fil-A. When Jesus asks you, what is it that you want? He has every button imaginable. He can do all kinds of things. Matter of fact, he's got things that he can do that we're not even good enough. Like we, we can't even think enough to even ask for it. Like a good neighbor, Jesus listens to this guy's heart. And Jesus listens to this guy's pain. And Jesus paid the relational rent, showed us how to do it, and Jesus is there. And Jesus said to him, verse 42, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you immediately. He received his sight and followed Jesus praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. It's an incredible moment. I tell you why miracles are recorded in the Bible. Here's why they're there. Miracles are here and recorded in the Bible to testify to the authority and authenticity on the reliability of Jesus. We can rely on him to be authentic, sincere, true, not fake. It is proof. It is verification. It is double authentication that he is indeed the son of the living God, the only way to a relationship back with the father. This is why we ask these questions in baptism. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God and have you accepted him? Are you ready to be united with the father, the son, and the spirit? And that which is broken in your life, put back together again. Pain is fixed in in this moment. That's why miracles are recorded. That's why when we hear there was no cure at that time, but Jesus. There's a dangerous recipe that's on display here. And it could be a dangerous recipe in your life. See, being unheard and being unknown lead to being unloved. Being unheard and being unknown is a dangerous recipe that leads to this, being and feeling unloved. And in this moment, in this encounter with Jesus, all of that can be cured. You can be on a path to recovery in your life because of this. Jesus will listen. Jesus will hear at the deepest, deepest level. Jesus will be like a neighbor you've never had before and he will listen and he will know you and then you will feel loved. And if you felt that, then you have everything that you need to go and bless other people because you can listen to their heart, listen to pain in their life and completely blow their minds by helping them feel heard 
and feel known and for the first time ever feel loved. It's what Jesus showed us how to do. I met a guy this week. And if you listen to people, uh, it's crazy the stories they'll tell. Kyle. I met Kyle. We were out and uh, we were sitting down in this kind of foyer place and hanging out. And Kyle, I always ask people where they're from because I always want to know that. And Kyle's from Indiana. He's a Hoosier. And I'm a Hoosier. I lived there. I went to high school there. And I'm like, oh, you're a Hoosier. Like, where's this at? And we're talking about all the Indiana stuff. Kyle, uh, he's, got, he's got a corporate job. But what Kyle really loves to do, Kyle loves to shoot skeet. He was actually the Indiana state champion for skeet shooting. Some of you might not know what that is. Uh, skeet shooting, they get these little clays, like little dishes, little saucers. You put your teacup on, they're made of clay. And they're like a bright color, normally orange. And they've got a machine and they've got tons of these things, these little saucers. And they'll shoot them out of this machine and they'll do things that like an animal do in the wild. Maybe there's a machine way off in the distance and it'll shoot them and they'll come at you, two of them in the sky. Or maybe they'll come and from underneath of you and they'll shoot these two little, these little saucers and they'll shoot them away from you. It'll be like two little birds flying away. Sometimes they're like a rabbit on the ground and they'll come bouncing out and they'll bounce all weird. And the whole point is it's kind of like you get a group of people together and only four. They give you a golf cart and you go out to a range to all these different stations. And they'll give you a bunch of shells and a shotgun. It's really safe. You kind of, one person will step up onto a platform and you put the, the, the gun through these two posts and you can't load it till you get there. And you'll have a buddy, someone will be over there and they'll hit the button. And then whew, whew, these two skeet, these little clay dishes will come flying into the sky and you got to find them and, and shoot them, right? And if you do a really good job, you hit it and it goes, and everyone's like, oh, you got one. We didn't think you would. There was nothing else. We lived in Missouri a long time. There's, there was not a lot to do. I did it a lot. It was really fun. Kyle, he's really good at it. He told me, he's like, Johnny, I've had 100,000 rounds go through my number one gun. I'm like, wow, state champion. And he's so good that he actually works at a course right there in Indianapolis. So he'll take people through this thing. They'll come, you know, like corporate groups, and they'll get in groups of four. And he's like, I got to tell you, preacher, I got to tell you about the craziest craziest thing that ever happened to me. He's like, I got a call one day and they told me on the phone, we've got a gentleman that wants to come and do the course, but get this, he's blind. I mean, at that moment, I'm thinking, no, right? I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, he's gone. The guy's blind. Like that's, that's, that doesn't sound like a great idea. I think Kyle's like, I've done this for a long time. I, I, I'll do it. I'll coach him. So this, normally when you're out on the range, you know, every now and then in the distance, you'll just hear like a distant shot from someone. Not a lot of people out there. This guy shows up with a whole lot of people with him. And they've got like multiple golf carts in tow, tons and tons of people because they love him. They all want to see, he, this is what he wanted to do. He's a blind guy and he wanted to go and shoot skeet. And so all of his friends are there, right? And all of these golf carts pull up and Kyle's thinking, and they just told him, you, Kyle, just tell him what to do and he'll, he'll do it. And so Kyle tells the guy, hey, you're going to walk up to the, the platform. It's about 12 paces. Halfway through, there's a root on the ground. And so when you, get, when you get there, know that and then just get up there and I'll come up there. And so the guy takes about six paces and he feels around for that root, finds it, steps over it. Another six, finds the platform, gets up there. And 
Kyle hands him his gun. He puts it between the poles, all safe, and gets it there. And he hands him the shells, and the guy puts the shells in. And Kyle says, you put, your, put your gun up in the air. And all this guy has to do is listen to Kyle. State champion. Takes people all the time. So he says, you hold still, and you wait for me to say now. Because Kyle knows. They're going to pull the skeet, and they're going to, they're going to release and they're going to come flying across the sky. And if that guy will hold his gun right there and just listen to Kyle's voice say, this is your time. It'll work. Kyle's sure of it. He's telling us the story. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, like I can barely hit anything. And I, I, I see when we go, I like practice. I like hit it. And we see, oh, they're coming from over there and they're going that fast. Okay. Like totally cheating, right? This guy can't see anything. And Kyle's going to tell him they're going to come from over here. Like he's just, you hold your gun straight. And when I tell you, this is your time, pull that trigger. All the people are there, you know, quiet. They're watching. And Kyle says, pull. They're flying across this guy. He's got that gun. And Kyle whispers into his ear, now. Pulls that trigger. Pop, pop two times. Normally when you do this, you might get one of the little pellets that's in the shell and it'll just barely grab a piece of it and like a little tiny piece will fly off and you'll tell your buddies, I got one. They'll be like, you got a feather, okay? You didn't get it, bro. I'm not giving you that. It hit that target. There's orange dust everywhere. All the people that are there, woo! Cheering. Get this. You've got someone in your life. If you've been obedient to baptism and you've walked with Jesus, you've got someone in your life. They're in your ear and they're going with you everywhere you go and encountering neighbors. And that person is the Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is just be praying and be listening. And the Spirit is going to say this, now, now, this is your time. Listen to that pain. Listen, love, now. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close. I want to invite you to close your eyes as we pray. And Jesus, I believe as a, as a church, we need a moment right now where we come and repent. The fact is this. We, uh, we have not been listening to our neighbor's pain and heart because we don't want to hear it because we don't want to be responsible for it. And that's sin. And may your spirit just break our hearts. Missed opportunities, busyness. We've not been paying the relational rent. We can do this. Would you help us all just listen to that voice right over our shoulder? You've got us in place and you told us where to point. You've you've put us at that gas station. You've, You've put us at that restaurant. You've put us in that neighborhood. You've put us in that marriage. You've made us that parent. Help us listen. Help us hear your voice say, this is your time. We repent for not doing that. Would you refocus us 
on listening. And right now in this moment, would you help us be like Bartimaeus? When you stepped into his life and you healed him, Jesus, immediately he began to praise you. And all the people that saw the work that you were doing began to praise you. Would you focus us from a moment of repentance to a moment of praise? Because Jesus, you are like a good neighbor. You're there, church. Can we sing about who he is and what he's done? Would you lift your voice? Come on.